Hey, Cinda. Hey, Phil. Do you want to talk about getting started GMing? Heck yeah. And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm your host who hasn't been a new GM for three decades, Phil. And I am your other host who's not going to try and do math and show off on the fly, Senda. (laughs) Which I think speaks to our disparate GMing styles right there. Anyway, for tonight's topic, A-Bomb emailed us with the following. With con season in full swing and Gen Con going on, boy, we dated this question, didn't we? I mean, Um, listen, to our credit, to our credit, this is Gen Con 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, this isn't like Gen Con 2017. Like, (laughs) I didn't fish this thing out of the archives. (laughs) It's true. Anyway, got me thinking I could run a game someday. I've been following your podcast from the very beginning and have found it very informative. So I came up with a few questions for both of you and I wanted to get your thoughts. Awesome. We would love to give you our thoughts. We're really excited to share. That is literally what this show is all about is us giving our thoughts. Thank goodness you still want to hear them. (laughs) I don't know what we would do if you changed your minds. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, The questions were, what advice would you give a new GM that wants to run their first game? D&D, GURPS, D20, Modern, etc. Would a one-shot be better or try to run a small campaign? Would it be a good idea to have a co-GM working with you as training wheels to help out? And how easy hand wave or hard rules lawyer should you make the session? So first of all, Let's let's just say that everyone should try their hand at GMing if they yes. are interested in doing it. Not everybody yes. likes to GM, but if you are curious about it or you you really want to do it and you're like talking yourself out of it, you absolutely should GM. It yeah, is just just do it. Just right. Do there's it. there's nothing actually terribly magical about what GMing is. It's really just a. Um, it's really just a juggling act, right? We talk about the eight skills. <laughs> it's really a juggling act. And uh, once you start juggling, you get better at juggling. And yeah. once you start jamming, you get better at jamming. Yep. So I like to do these. I like to do these kinds of questions. We get these every now and then at panels that we're on and we get them uh, every now and then here on the show. And I, I like to do them. And we've done we haven't done one in a while. Like, I think Chelsea was the last time we did an intro uh, GMing thing. But I like to do them because if we can help not only A-Bomb, but if we can help anyone else who's listening to kind of make that jump into GMing, then, like, I, like, then these episodes are very worthwhile, right? Like, we, we should always be encouraging people to GM. So, we're going to answer, we're going to answer A-Bomb's questions in a little quick fire grab bag kind of way. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully these will help remove some of the barriers that A-Bomb has been thinking about that's been, you know, between him and getting to behind the screen. Yep. And like, yeah, hopefully that um, hopefully in the near future, A-Bomb starts doing some GMing. Yeah. And if there's something that's keeping you from GMing, listener, I'm talking to you, let us know. We want to help. Yeah, we will like we will do more of these. We will answer more questions. Yeah. 
Cool. What? Uh, so go back and tell us the first question. Right. So the first question we're going to talk through is, what advice would you give a new GM that wants to run their first game, D&D, GURPS, D20 Modern, etc.? Okay. So my advice, I'll bundle, I'll bundle up a couple of nuggets of advice. The first thing I would say is find a system that excites you so that you will work towards system mastery. So if you don't find a particular rule set exciting, you are not going to do the extra effort to really learn and master it. Because either the system's too complicated and you don't want to dig in and kind of, you know, master the complexity, or it's too bland and um, you're kind of blowing it off, like whatever it is, you need to find that right system. And the only way to do that is to kind of experience other systems. And I would say that like we're in a fortunate space because in the old days, the only way to experience other systems would have been to go play them. Mm. Uh, But now you can actually go watch them. Or, or listen. listen to them, right? Like <laughs> I prefer if people listen. I mean, yeah, in, indeed, right? So so APs and streams give you a great way to kind of check out other systems. So find the one with that when you see it being played, you're like, ooh, that's really good. It, it hits the right amount of whatever. Like it's crunchy enough or it's story enough, whatever. Okay. My next piece of advice is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Every GM makes mistakes. The skill that you develop, one of the eight skills that you'll be juggling, <laughs> is to learn how to cover up your mistakes. Um, right. So you will either learn to cover them up or learn to take them and make other things out of them. Yes. Um, but by all means, mistakes happen. So just when you make a mistake, just call it. There's, there's this. I think there's this thing where people believe like your first GMing sessions have to be super smooth. Right. Right. But I will tell you, like, I like with 30 something years of GMing under my belt, I've been running Forbidden Lands and like the first couple of sessions were bumpy as hell because of the system. And the system's great. I love it. But between the learning curve and just kind of stumbling around and making some mistakes, like it just was bumpy. Whatever. Like we paused, we clarified things, we backed up, we went forward. Yeah. Like... It, you just make it work. You do what you do. Yeah. And and you'll just, after, like, it's like when you first learn to drive a standard car, right? Like, when you first learn to drive mm-hmm. standard, right? It's awful, right? Like, you, it's all like jerky, jerk, right? You, jerk. right? Right. You, you stall. stall. <laughs> you, right. You stall. You lurch forward, right? Like, all that stuff. Yeah. And then like, after, put your foot on the gas instead of the brake or, exactly. like, your clutch or, like. Yeah. So, but, like, then later, like, you get really smooth at shifting gears, right? Like, that's what jamming is like. Yep. And then my last bit of advice is safety, 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 right? Like if you are starting to GM, get into good habits right away, right? Learn safety in tabletop RPGs, right? Learn about lines and fails. Learn about consent revoking tools like the X card or, you know, I will always plug our OK check-in because I like that it's um, consent affirming and consent revoking. Yep. Um, And works great online. Yeah, it works fantastic online. Bo Shelton's fast uh, forward script, rewind. Script change. Script change. Script change. Script change is also excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but get into the habit of understanding safety. If you understand it now, when you first start GMing, it'll just be part of your table culture. Yeah. And it'll just be who you are. Yep. Which is a really good place to be in this day and age. Yep. How like, about you? There's, there isn't really an excuse not to be that anymore, really. There really <laughs> um, isn't. Yeah, just just include that as part of the, the learning curve for GMing. So I would also say, and this is like just, you know, 
part of this is about knowing what what you want out of GMing and like what kind of games interest you, like Phil was saying. But so the other part of that is don't be afraid to choose something that is lighter so that you can achieve system mastery without having to put a lot of investment in it, especially if your first game is going to be something like a one shot. Like you don't need to read the entire DMG. You can pick up something like Lasers and Feelings, Love and Justice, uh, Rocket Boys and Vending Machines, um, all out of bubble gum. You can do something lighter like that, especially if, and this is an interesting thing because there's sometimes that GMing, like the rules help you and support you and feed you things to do, like failing forward or like the moves in the Powered by the Apocalypse games. And there are sometimes that rules will bog you down and make it harder to GM when you need more mastery to be able to do it smoothly, right? So like, don't be afraid to steer into the kind of game that you think will support what you want out of the experience the best, right? So if you're into mechanical mastery, that might mean that you're going into something crunchier because it's enjoyable for you to learn that and crunch that and do all of that stuff. And that's awesome. If that's not what you're looking for out of your GMing experience, if you are into, you know, sort of, you're like, I'm much more comfortable with improving than learning all of these rules, then steer lighter, right? So that the rules get out of your way. Um, So, you know, pick, Pick the type of rule system that will create the experience that you think will be the most enjoyable for you. And maybe also you're wrong. And like, that's okay too. Like try something else next time. It's okay. I I, I think though that I think a really important point here is that since we both have talked about it, right? Yeah. The selection of the game that you pick has a a lot to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a lot. And and I think if I can boil it down to, I mean, we've talked about system mastery. I think that's really important. But I think that when we really get down to the core of it, what we're saying is pick the pick the game system that you're excited about, because learning to GM is difficult. Yeah. And if you are not excited about the game that you want to run. It's not it's not going to work. You yeah. will not you will not have fun doing this. No. But if but if you are just salivating at the idea of playing whatever it is, whatever whether it's 6th edition Shadowrun or Cyberpunk Red, whatever, if you're salivating to like to get to tell stories like about this world, then you'll push through the mechanical parts that aren't as much fun and you will you will overcome your other inhibitions and fears about, oh, I, I don't know if I could run this or I don't know if I have enough skills or whatever. like you'll just want to play the game. Yeah. And and it gets you also past the thing like the worst reason to learn to GM, in my opinion, is that everybody's like, well, we don't want to do it. Well, and and like, yeah, fine, we don't want to do, do it, it and we want you to run this game. And we want you to run this game and you don't get a choice. And you're right. like, I'm not really it, it's one, about it's this one thing. Yeah. It's one thing for people to be like, I don't want a GM. But I, th- I feel like if you don't want a GM, then the GM gets kind of like a, a slightly larger say in like, well, then yeah. we're playing this. Then we're playing this game that I'm excited to pick and run, right? right. Yeah. Then there's a balancing yeah, act. We could do a whole a show on that. We've but, talked about it before. But absolutely... Yeah absolutely invest time into what what game you pick yeah yeah anyway um so that aside the other um sort of big first tip that i like to throw out there is remembering that this is not you versus your players right this is a cooperative experience and as long as you remember that it means that you're never going to feel like you're put on the spot right like 
because the table is there to work with you. So this isn't like getting up on stage. This is like, I'm stuck, guys. What do you think should happen? Like, you know, because they're there to have this experience with you and support you. And you're there to tell a story with them as a collaborative experience. And as long as you approach a table like that, you're sitting down with a bunch of people to do something together. If you're sitting down at a table and you're like, I am going to do this thing and you are going to experience it and it's going to be this work of art that I have envisioned in my head and I will present to you, then um, suddenly it is potentially much harder because you don't have anybody there to support you and you are kind of up there on stage. So don't be afraid to, you know, be part of the players. You are one of the players. You do a slightly different role. You're still part of the players. Be with everyone. Be part of it. Does that make sense? It does. It's a thing. And that's totally a table culture thing. And that's definitely not how everybody's table culture works. But in my opinion, to make a much more comfortable place to start GMing, I think it's a lot easier to sit down and be like, look, we're going to do a thing together. Yay. I think think sitting down and doing a thing together is way better than treating it like a PowerPoint presentation where you have to go stand up in the front of the room and GM by yourself. Yes. Don't do that. You will not. Probably enjoy. I, it. I mean, <laughs> you might. There may be, I don't know. Again, ev- everybody's different, but I also am in favor of. I like. I like a very collaborative table. Yeah, and it really takes a lot of the pressure off of you as a GM. And the the sooner it's you less kind things of, to juggle. Yeah, the sooner you kind of get into that groove where you're like just making it a collaborative space, the less pressure you end up feeling like you're under when you sit down to run that game, right? Anyway, um, yeah, so that was that's my thoughts on it. Uh, what's the next question, Phil? The next question, I think, is going to be an easy one because I think we're both in alignment <laughs> on this one. Yeah. Would a one-shot be better to try or run a small campaign instead? Yeah, I like one-shots as an intro a lot, um, partially because of what we talked about in the last question, which is, like, you have a chance to float that game out and see if it's as exciting as you thought it was going to be without having committed to a full campaign. Right. (laughs) So if you play it for four hours and you're like, woof, I didn't actually get into that at all. Or even like, wow, I really liked that, but I think I was screwing up these rules. Right. Like it gives you the opportunity to really jump in on something and try it without consequences for making mistakes as you're playing it or like not getting the story beats right or like not getting the pacing quite right because you know it's tricky to get a hold handle on that stuff sometimes but like if it's a one shot it doesn't really matter like you don't have to do this again next week you were just playing it once so you played it in in two and a half hours instead of four okay well sure did everybody have fun cool we're done here so that's my first thing is, um, is I like one shots. <laughs> but I also think that one shots make it easier to get players who are willing to be guinea pigs for you, right? Because it's way easier to say to someone, I really want to try GMing. And I have this really cool game in mind. Do you have four hours on a Saturday or whatever it is that you could just come hang out with me and we'll play this game? Then it is to say, I've never run a game before, but I want to run a campaign that lasts forever, Please commit every Saturday of your life to me for forever. I hope that I'm a good GM, right? Like that's trickier. That's that is a harder sell. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm in, I'm in total agreement with this, right? Like normally I'm the campaign guy, yeah. uh, but I will say that when you're first learning to GM, one shots are the way to go. Now, if you want to have something somewhat connected, then my advice is to go with serial one shots, which is keep the same characters from one shot from one session to another, but right. make your sessions just one shots, right? Like right. you can, especially if you're like, if you are like, let's say you've dialed into a system you like, but you're not 100% sure you're there, then just a couple of like serial one shots of the same characters, but different situations, one, two, three, four, maybe. And then either you're in it or you're, you know, out. But if you want to, and I think we have a past episode on this, there is, you know, there are ways to flip a series of one shots into a campaign. Right. So, um, yeah, you can always make that decision later. Yeah. And you can always stop and be like, cool, we, these one shots were our prequel. And now, like, let's whip up, let's let's tune up our characters or make new characters, whatever, and start our campaign based in this world. Like, you have a lot of options. But I think when we talk about juggling things, when you're a new GM, your goal should be just to manage getting your shit done at the table, right? Run yeah. a good game, run a smooth game. Yep. Campaign management <laughs> is a whole other level of work. And you don't yes. need to be doing that to yourself when you're first starting out. Right. I mean... Like, that's a thing you grow into. Like, right. grow into campaign management. It is okay. And if that's something that really excites you, like the idea of doing campaign management, then the idea of starting things off as a serial one-shot is a really good one because you can kind of play with that without having to commit to doing campaign pacing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because you get to do the planning between sessions and all of those things. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um, next question. Would it be a good idea to have a co-GM working with you as training wheels to help out? Yeah. My answer for this one is no. Yeah. Um, Co-GMing is actually a uh, even more difficult yes. task than GMing on your own. Co-GMing is GMing, but it adds a whole additional layer of communication to be able to coordinate with the other GM. And you have to kind of get to know that GM and their style and like have some sort of way to kind of hand off the material back and forth, etc. It is complicated enough that most of most experienced GMs I know don't co-GM with anyone. Right. You and I, I have never co-GM'd no, a thing. We've Sneezak and I have never yeah. co-GM a thing. Yeah. In fact, I think sometimes Sneezak jokingly refers to co-GMing as the devil's triangle of um, <laughs> uh, of GMing. It's Which, hard. Well, it it is it's hard and it involves meshing styles and like like I mean there's a reason why there aren't a ton of um, podcast episodes on co-GMing because most of us don't do it. Now, right. I will say this. Hmm. Having GMs in your game oh, it's great. as players when yeah. you are learning to run is great because if they're behaving themselves and they should know how to behave themselves with a new GM, if they're behaving themselves and not trying to take over the table, then they are a great source of feedback because they will kind they will know what is happening on your side of the screen because they've been there and they'll be able to give you feedback and be like, hey, when you did this thing, like you should have tried like, you know, approaching it this way or you could have used this technique, that kind of thing. So having GMs there, whilst while it may feel intimidating, they were also new to the screen at some point. And if they're not jerks, they'll be sympathetic to that and they will be a great resource for you to draw upon. Yeah, I actually think they're not only a very good resource, but they will actually 
frequently help you out at the table, right? Like if you have a table and many people people at that table GM and you are kind of starting to struggle with where to point a story or something like that, they can easily in character and as players without taking over the table from you or anything, usually just, you know, grab a story thing and run with it and give you material, right? I have very wonderful experiences running um, at tables full of GMs because um, everybody has more of that stuff happening in their heads all at the same time. And it's wonderful, <laughs> even though it does, it can, you know, seem intimidating. And so the other thing that I would also say um, about having other GMs at your table or even just people who know the rules set really well, even better, even if they know it better than you do, gosh, have I done this before? is that you have those people at your table as a resource and don't be afraid to use it, right? Like this is where we get back to collaboration. Like it's not you versus them. You're all there at the table together. So if there's like, you know, three people who used to run this game for you sitting at your table, and this is the first time that you're running it and you run into a thing and you don't know how it works, you could stop the game and you could look it up or you could hand wave it and that would also probably be fine and they would go with it because they're GMs and they know how that goes, right? But you can also say, hey, real quick, how does this work? Like this or like that? And they will just say, oh yeah, like this over here and then you continue on with the game, right? Like there's nothing that says that you have to be the master of the rules at the table or the person who knows every single thing at this table. Like having other people who you can use as resources at the table is great. I do really agree about the co-GMing, though. Um, the closest I've gotten is that Andy and I ran a game. It was a campaign, and we each ran arcs of it. So, like, we co-GMed the, the story, the overarching, like, whole campaign, but we individually GMed each arc, right? Like, we weren't trying to share at the table. That's hard. Super tough. So hard. Anyway. All right, last question. How easy, hand-wavy, or how hard, rules lawyery should you make the session? This is an interesting one for me because I feel like it depends a lot on what kind of game you've chosen. Um, <laughs> and, and part of that is that, like, you know, when you decide if it's going to be soft hand-wavy or hard rules lawyery, you're deciding on a table culture and if I'm playing lasers and feelings, like, there's a certain amount of hand-wavy to the rules in general. There aren't any damage mechanics, you know? Like, it's gonna be a little mushy sometimes. <laughs> if I'm playing D&D, like, that's much more of a decision that I actually have to make, right? So, right. up front, there's the thing about this that depends on what rule set, what type of rule set you've chosen. But I would also say that your primary goal in your first couple of times running is to kind of just get a feel for running the table itself. And so, like, you know, if you're stopping every five minutes to look something up in the book to be really rules lawyer, it's too much. Because the, the idea is to run the table and, like keep that kind of moving as smoothly as you can. And so you may have to make more of a call on the fly. I don't know about how hand wavy or rules lawyer you are. And, and it also gets back to how comfortable you are with improvising versus like feeling that you want to be relying on the rules. Right. A lot of times I feel like when I don't have system mastery, the rules mess me up frankly, because I spend a lot of time worrying if I got them right. I spend a lot more time worrying if I got them right than I do on the story. And so I stopped worrying about them a lot. And I play games where I don't have to worry about them. 
And like the important thing with that is, right, there's eight things you're doing. So you've got seven other things other than the rules happening at any given moment. So like, don't beat yourself up about the rules. Do your best. Do them as best you can. Read them. Know them as best as you can. But like, if you do something wrong or you're not sure about them, like, it's not worth having anxiety about, I guess, is where I'm going. (laughs) Phil may disagree with me on this one slightly. So I I think we're going to say the same thing. I'm going to say it a little differently. Okay, that's Um, fair. (laughs) Which is that I, my opinion is when you run a game, you should be more firm than soft with the game because you should be trying to play the game as it was designed. So you should be trying to adhere to the rules of the game and using the mechanics provided because the mechanics for game are provided to help make the game experience and the game play what it is. That's yes. Now, that goes hand in hand with you have to couple that with your comfort level for how complex you want to play your games. Yes. You and I have solved this problem <laughs> in the same way, right? Yeah. <laughs> you and I went from playing complex games to playing much simpler games because we both actually run our games more firm than soft. We just run games with less rules so we can be firm with the rules that remain. Yes. Right? Like That's very that's, accurate. Yes. Right. That's the thing, right? So what we're not doing is like you and I are not playing GURPS and then ditching 60% of the system to play rules light GURPS, right? Yes. What we did was we went to a game that was 60% lighter than GURPS yes. and are actually playing it 80 to 90% Firm. to the rules. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I didn't in the beginning, right? So that's where I got to. In the beginning, I was doing things like I was hand-waving off big chunks of rules, which is a sign that if you are hand-waving off big chunks of rules... This game is too complex for right. your tastes. Right. So again, and I think this is like the theme of this of of, mm-hmm. of this episode is know the game that you're playing, right? Like know it, know your preferences for it, because it has really a lot to do with how you're gonna make things happen at the table. And so so one, it is perfectly fine to love a crunchy game, right? Like if 5e is your jam and you are living, eating, breathing, and you can't read enough articles about 5e and how it works and the, you know, different ways things combine, like, then that is the game you should go GM. Yeah. But if you are like me and you are like, I can't GM an NPC that has magic because I'm <laughs> never going to learn all these spells and what am I going <laughs> to do? then, you know, you probably should go play something lighter. Um, and the beauty is that we live in an age where there are far more tabletop games than you can possibly actually play. Yes. And there are different systems and there are different mindsets. And so part of your learning as a GM is to kind of learn what you like to run. Uh, and sometimes the thing will surprise you. Like I run so much PBTA that I was a little curious about what my feelings were going to be about running something that was like a little crunchy, like I shouldn't say a little, a lot crunchier and a lot more detailed in terms of Forbidden Lands, but it turned out to actually be like a pleasant surprise. Like I really didn't think I was going to love this game as much as I'm loving it, but it's definitely a harder game. 
Yeah. Right. Like system mastery has taken a lot more work and I'm not even there yet. Right. Like I've gotten some of the parts of the game down and like some of it I'm still working on. So anyway, point being, when you are hand waving large chunks of your game, you are probably playing the wrong system. Now, conversely, if you are in the middle of a session and you are stuck on a rule and you can't find where it is in the book and you don't know where to look and you don't know exactly how to answer it, even after you've looked in the book, that kind of hand waving yeah. Right. That kind of hand waving to just make a ruling. Yeah. Right. That is okay. That make, is a GM tool. Go. Yeah. Right. The G. That's a GM tool to make the game go again. What I'm talking about, um, hand wavy versus rules lawyer, is like if you pick up a game and you're like, well, we're not using encumbrance. Right. Rip that out. And we're not using spell components. Rip that out. And we're not going to use, like, if you've ripped out three or four different sections of the rules, you are probably not in the right rule set for you. Wow. 20 years ago, Senda really could have used those words. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, and hopefully there's a, you know, there's a right now, there's a right now somebody who needs to hear that in order to decide to get behind the screen and start running some games because they're going to be the next awesome GM at a convention. They're going to be the next person who runs a game for somebody who's also going to become a GM. Because one of the things that we know from this hobby is that sure, while streamers are pulling in all sorts of people, this hobby has always been grown by people who know how to play games, running games for people who haven't played yet, and making them into uh, and making them into gamers. Yeah. And with that, I think we have reached the end of this topic. A bomb. Good luck running a game. You are local to me because I know who A bomb is. So if uh, you do want somebody at your table to play a game, give me a shout. My schedule's crazy busy, but for a one shot, see, <laughs> for a one see? shot, it's easier I could to get probably pigs. fit something in. Guinea pigs for um, a one shot. See, absolutely, way easier. Um, before we hit the uh, <laughs> closing of the show, uh, Senda, tell me about another show uh, on the so very cool Misdirected Mark Network. <laughs> Yeah, on Bonus Experience, Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. They're that is great. That is legit brand. Say, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pandas talk games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums where we are continuing to run a really cool contest. Hopefully, I it's, hopefully it's still going because we missed our chance to talk about it last week because I didn't have internet. We're running a really cool contest where you could win a Bagthulu or you could win a handmade by moi. She's a super geek dice bag. That is only owned by four people on this planet. I have one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> They're great, by the way. I love it. Yeah. Or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they have that information, what can they do with it? You can send us your topics, just like A-Bomb did today. Uh, send us your topics. We'd love to talk about things that you want to hear about. We could spout on endlessly about things that we find interesting, but I don't know how much Ditch Lily's trivia you can all take. Um, Especially now. Now that the game is in progress. Oh, the game's coming out really good. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, really, I'm kind of proud of it. Like I, I'm It's really almost ready it. to get it to the table. 
<laughs> anyway, please send us your topics. Like I said, we love to do the thing. We love to do shows about the things that you find interesting. We really pride ourselves on not coming up with too many topics on our own, but really kind of pulling them in from the things that you ask us. So send them to us. We'll find a way to make an episode out of pretty much any topic. If you like what we do here or elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support us by going to our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of goodies. The bonus outtakes from this show, the after show from Misdirected Mark, our show notes, access to our Slack room, come chill with us and play some Minecraft, the occasional publication. My guess is when it's time to play Test the Ditch Lilies, I'm pretty sure I know where we're going first. Yeah, for playtesters. Right? Like, I'm pretty sure our patrons are going to be the first people we ask uh, mm-hmm. to come playtest our games. The other thing we love to do is we love to give shout-outs to our um, patrons. Christopher Gray, the spy master of MMP. Thank you so much, Christopher. Chris Steele. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> and Drew Smith, happy recent birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. It was a little it was a little sooner when we recorded this last if we'd recorded this last week. If we'd recorded this, yeah, when we were going to record but this. It was just oh. it was pretty recent. So happy yeah, birthday, yeah, Drew. Okay. Good. Hey, there's another thing that makes us as happy as if we were having a birthday. Um, <laughs> a birthday of bamboo cake with Can- frosting and, ba- and bamboo candles in it. Uh, what's uh-huh. that thing that makes us oh so happy? Well, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Every new review we get really does actually help new people find the show, which is pretty darn cool. Also, artistic validation. We, we do love artistic validation, to be it, clear. It kind of... It kind of it kind of makes us feel really warm and fuzzy inside. If you leave it somewhere that's not the U.S. iTunes store, you should probably tell us about it because we'll never see it otherwise. <laughs> as much as I try. Awesome! Thank you very much, everyone. And say, Senda, show me who you want to coach into the next great GM. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Clicky. Clicky, clicky, clicky. It looks pretty good. Bloop. Anyway. Welcome, oh, welcome back to internet. Oh my god, eight days. <laughs> I don't even know how you made it. I would have set fire to something. I, Neighbors. It was really close. Like, I was at the point where I would just, like, sit on the couch and try to load, say, Twitter on data. And sometimes it would load and sometimes it wouldn't. And it, when it wouldn't, I would just, like, cry. <laughs> it was so bad. I believe it. I did once, not um, enjoy. It happened to me once when there was a, um, there was a blackout. There was an ice yeah. storm that tore yeah. down most of our power lines. And so we were out of power and internet for like seven days. And, <laughs> and internet was hard. Like I took, I actually took it real, I it took it pretty badly. Um, but actually the lights were just as bad. Like it would just start getting dark in the house, like around five. Right. And you're just like, well, I can't do anything now. I'm trying to read by candlelight. Like, yeah. I mean, which you could do to a certain point, but it was just so dark and dreary in the house. Like, it was miserable. As I do not envy you like that.
Oh, sorry. Big yawn. Um, no, I it's know, miserable. It's late. We we gotta we gotta we gotta keep this show up. I know we were of. just catching up before we hit the record oh button. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because so, like it's been hard to talk to people and my community and stuff. It was um, very strangely, um, not strangely, but it was um, actually isolating in a way that I uh, didn't previously consider. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, I mean, to some extent, you can go to like Starbucks or something and get online, but it's just. I mean, I think we take for granted right. how convenient. Like, how convenient and ubiquitous Wi-Fi is, like... Right. I Well, I mean, part of it is, yes, I could do that, but because I was spending four hours out of every workday sitting at home with no internet waiting for a tech guy to show up again, I kept then going to Starbucks and or Panera for another three to four hours until they closed, but I wasn't there to enjoy the internet. I was there working my butt off trying to catch up on all the stuff I didn't get done during the day because I had to be home with no internet. Right. So it was miserable. Yeah, it was a pretty bad situation. I mean, bad enough just, that we couldn't record, and that's, I mean, we don't, yeah. we don't not, we don't miss an episode. We don't miss an episode, but it was like there was no place for me to record. Right. <laughs> but now anyway. we're back. We're back. Um, and we're doing there's what we internet. do. We're doing what we do best. Oh, man. So happy there's internet. Hi, everyone. So happy together. I missed you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to make a show? Yeah, we should make a show. But now I'm now I'm singing. If I should call you up and spend a dime and you say you belong to me and ease my mind. Imagine how the world would be so very fine. So happy together. So I remember when a dime actually did make a phone call. I am trying to remember why I literally know every single word to that song. It's pretty impressive. You just like, <laughs> I mean, I only made a, a passing reference to it. And you just filled in the I rest mean, of the words. I just stopped. I didn't stop because I ran out of words. I just stopped because I figured we should probably do the episode at some point. We should. We should, we should, we should. Bloop. I can see me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he's dancing, but he's not singing. I'm head bobbing. I'm not dancing. I mean, it's kind of dancing. I, I mean, it's not dancing with the stars dancing. Oh, we're not talking about that show. X card that shit out. <laughs> okay. Wow. Sorry, I didn't. Oh, you haven't seen you haven't seen their new lineup. No. X card that out. I actually know nothing about it. So moving right along. Bloop. <laughs> It wasn't very good. It was, it was, I don't know what it did. It wasn't quite there. It wasn't there. Bloop. Cue music. Boom, boom. Oh, you did the second one. Yeah, I just did the second one. Bloop. Yeah, this is, I got my spin drift right here. I don't know how they feel about spin drift. I think we you asked guys him talked about, about Spindrift, or we're just talking about Lacroix. No, I think. Well, I think Spindrift's like fancy Lacroix, right? Oh, like I know. Yes, it's got real yeah. fruit in it. Yeah, that's like a fancier version of Lacroix. Yes, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, I can see no one else can. So let's do the closing <laughs> of the show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we should stop now. We can stop now. Ready? Yes. Good. Okay. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Yeah.